chapter 2, Daniel 2, 1 to 30. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we have indeed found you to be wholly true. You are a God who is faithful to your word. And Heavenly Father, this evening, as we come to this passage, as we turn our attention to Daniel 2, and we see a circumstance which seems impossible, and yet even in the midst of that, we find you to be wholly true. You're a faithful God, and your faithfulness is not affected by the circumstances in which we find ourselves. You are simply who you are. Father, may our hearts find comfort this evening. As we look to this chapter, regardless of the circumstances around us, as we see a faithful God, may we find comfort. May we find hope. Even as we come this evening as we gather here there are many hearts that are troubled among us there are many things that, pe- that, that we are facing in the next week struggles that others may not even know about and yet you do and you are our faithful God give us strength for the evening give us strength for the week ahead give us faith to trust you and may you be honored in this time together in Jesus name Amen Daniel. Have you ever found yourself in an extremely unfortunate situation? I was thinking of uh, trying to think of an illustration and um, to, to open with. And my mind kept going back to different businesses like the Lehman Brothers in 2008 or Enron in 2001. These are massive failures. And imagine that you worked at one of these places. Imagine that you worked at Enron. And the night before everything comes crashing down, you get a call. Hey, we're giving you a raise. We're promoting you. You go to work the next day and you're excited and and this is great. And you walk in and actually there's been a huge case of fraud and everything is falling apart now. Your situation is turned around just like that. Accounting fraud, something you had nothing to do with. You may not have had any idea it was even going on. You thought, you, found, you thought that things were finally looking up, that they were moving in the right direction, and in reality, you find yourself in an extremely unfortunate situation. And that's the situation as we come... To Daniel 2, Daniel finds himself in an extremely unfortunate situation. In fact, as we work our way through this passage, we'll see Daniel's predicament, Daniel's prayer, Daniel's praise, Daniel's plea, and Daniel's presentation. And the first thing we see is Daniel's predicament. As I was putting together my outline, 
I was plugging into the computer last night and I realized that last week in Daniel 1, verses 8 to 21, my first point was Daniel's predicament. We tend to look at heroes of the faith, do we not? Like Daniel and, and Abraham and David, and we think, man, look at their lives. Daniel did not have an easy life. All throughout the book of Daniel, we find him in extreme predicaments. And as we come to Daniel 2, we find him once again in an extremely unfortunate predicament. In fact, it starts out now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. We talked a little bit last year, last week, about, or two weeks ago, about how the Babylonians dated things. The first year of a king's reign did not actually count towards his reign. It was considered a period of getting acclimated. And then year one is technically year two. And if you remember, Daniel's period when he was in the king's training program was three years. So he comes in during Nebuchadnezzar's first year. He comes into this program. He trains for three years. So as we come, as we open in Daniel 2, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, it's really the third year, as we would understand it. It's the third year of his reign, and Daniel has just finally finished. He's finished this program that he was in, where he was trained this programmer at the beginning, if you remember, as we saw two weeks ago, he stands up and he says, I can't eat this. I can't do it. I won't do it. Can't we, can't we figure something out? And Daniel boldly stands up and, and, and it's allowed. And he thrives in that program. And he comes to graduation and he's found to be better than anyone else in the whole kingdom. And it looks like things are looking up. Yes, everything was stripped away. Daniel was taken from his homeland. He was ripped from his family. But God has him in a situation and, and maybe now Daniel's finally starting to get excited again about what God is doing. Things are looking up. I have thrived and, and now I find myself in a place of authority in the, the, the most powerful kingdom in the world. Man, look what God has done. And then we come here to Daniel 2. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. The ancient world, specifically Babylon, dreams were regarded as very important, especially as a, as a king dreamed. It's viewed as, as, a, as a, a glimpse into the future, things that could affect the entire kingdom. They have significance for, for the whole nation. So Nebuchadnezzar's dreams are a big deal, and he has this dream, and this dream has troubled him so much that he cannot sleep. A bad dream for a king was not just a scary dream. It could have national and political ramifications according to what they believed. So it was important that they understand and that they understand rightly so they can act quickly on what is going on. This dream is weighing heavy on Nebuchadnezzar's heart. So he gives this command. He calls all the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans these who should be able to, to, someone among them should be able to interpret his dream, to, to tell him what is going on. His wise man, if you will, to come in and to give counsel. And so they come and they stand before the king. 
And the king says to them, I've had a dream. My spirit is anxious to know the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. It's an interesting note to, to note here in the middle of verse 4. The book of Daniel is unique in that it is written in two different languages. Up until this point, it has been Hebrew. But in verse 4, when it says the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, that is in um, Hebrew. And as it breaks there and they start speaking, then it switches to Aramaic. And it stays in Aramaic all the way through chapter 7, verse 28, which then returns to Hebrew. Just an interesting note to be aware of. So the king has come to them. He's brought their dream. The Chaldeans spoke to him in Arab. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The dreams holding so much importance, so much weight, this would not have been that odd of a request. This would have been probably somewhat of a normal interaction. I've had a dream. Can you tell me what it is? Yes, we can. However, the king's response is extremely unusual. Tell us the king, tell us your dream, and we will give you the interpretation. And the king answers and says to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. That's pretty extreme. Tell us your dream. Well, actually, you tell me the dream. And if you can't tell me the dream, I'm going to cut you into little pieces. I'm going to burn everything up. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. It's an extreme response. This is probably very surprising to these uh, wise men, these magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, the Chaldeans. What are you talking about? This, this, this is how we normally do things. You, know, you tell us and we tell you. How are we supposed to tell you your dream? We don't know why the king has such an extreme response here. Maybe, maybe he didn't trust their political motives. Maybe he thinks, if I tell you my dream, you're going to twist it to accomplish what you want to do rather than trying to seek what the dream is really telling me. Maybe he just doesn't trust these men regardless. Maybe they've recently let him down. Regardless, this is an extreme response. There's not even one trusted advisor that he goes to. He just makes a blanket statement across the board. Everybody, all my wise men, you will all die if not one of you can tell me. We see the extreme nature in their response. They answer, let the king tell us service the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answers again, I know for certain that you would gain time. Because you see that my decision is firm. What you're trying to do is you are trying to just, you know, bide your time. You're trying to wait till I'm in a better mood and then we can move on from this and I'll forget about it. But that's not going to happen. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you, give, that you will give me its interpretation. You can't trust them. Tell me the dream, and then I can trust you with the interpretation. The Chaldeans answered and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. 
Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. They're not wrong in that, are they? They're exactly right. There's not a man on earth who can do this. Verse 11, it is a difficult thing that the king requests. That is the understatement of the year. This is not a difficult, this is an impossible thing. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there was no other who could tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Once again, they are right, even though they may not really understand what they are saying. They're exactly right. There is no man on earth who can do this. Only the gods can do it. In fact, only one god can do it. Let's come to verse 12. Now we start to see Daniel's predicament. For this reason, the king was angry. He was very furious. We kind of see Nebuchadnezzar in the first several, in the book of Daniel. He's presented as a very moody king, someone who is driven by his emotions. He's angry. He's very furious. He gives a command to destroy all of the wise men of Babylon. This is it. It's over. They're all dead. So the decree goes out and they begin killing the wise men. And they saw Daniel and his companions to kill them. This is the predicament in which Daniel finds himself. There's a secret gene that no one knows but the king. And really, Daniel here is facing certain death. There's no hope. Who, who could possibly tell the king this dream? Daniel's life is in danger. And yet what we see as we move forward is that even in this, God is still in control. Nebuchadnezzar is flying off. His temper has taken control of him. He's not thinking clearly. He has just made a blanket statement. I'm going to kill every wise man regardless of anything they've ever done or ever said or who they are. They're all dying. Daniel... And his three friends, his companions, have literally just graduated into this group of wise men. They literally just joined it this year. And now they're in line to be killed. And yet notice Daniel's response. His prayer, verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had, been, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. With counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered. Ariot clearly here respects, or at least he's impressed by Daniel because he gives Daniel a chance to talk. He listens. Daniel must stand out from the other counselors. Daniel here remains calm. His time is calm. Ariot comes in and Daniel remains calm. And Daniel speaks boldly. The king's wise men, the majority of them, are scared to give an answer because they are scared to be revealed as frauds. They don't even want to guess because they know they don't know. And then once they don't know, they're going to be revealed as a fraud and they're going to be killed on the spot. 
But Daniel is confident because he knows that his God is real and he knows that his God is in control. And so even in this crazy predicament, this crazy circumstance in which Daniel finds himself, he remains calm. He speaks boldly. He speaks confidently. He answered, he says to Arioch, the king's captain, verse 15, why is the decree from the king so urgent, so harsh? So Arioch has made the decision known to Daniel. This had to be a very intense conversation. I, I, I kind of picture it in my mind. Arioch comes in, sword pulled. He's ready to kill Daniel. He's, he's standing there going to kill him, and Daniel asks him a question, and, and he's standing there, and he's talking to him. Literally, the guy who's ready to kill him is just having a conversation with him. Well, this is what the king said while well, he's holding his sword the whole time. That's kind of how I picture it. And Daniel's just calmly asking him, well, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Why is it so urgent? So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. That is a bold move. To go before a king who has just shown himself to have no control, who has just given a sweeping decree, and yet Daniel asked, let me go before the king, let me ask for time. He asked the king to give him time. That's the very thing that the king said he was not giving the others. There must be something about Daniel. He is bold. He is confident. He comes to the king not looking, not with excuses. He comes to the king with answers. Give me time and I will tell you. I will tell you the interpretation. Daniel here calmly and boldly goes before an emotional king. And what is fascinating about this is that God has not even yet told Daniel that he would reveal the dream to him. God has not even yet revealed the dream to Daniel. This is before God has revealed anything to Daniel. And there's no guarantee that God will reveal this dream to Daniel. But Daniel knows that God can reveal the dream. Daniel goes with confidence, not because God has said that he will, but because Daniel knows that God can, if that is his will. God, his God can give the answer. So then Daniel went to his house. He made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. This is Daniel's plan, to seek the Lord. To gather his friends and to bow in prayer and to seek God. Oh, that we were more like Daniel. Daniel doesn't try to pay off guards to figure out what the king's dream is so he can get himself out of this. Daniel goes to his God. Because Daniel knows that his God has the answer. Daniel goes to pray. I'm challenged as I read that because how many times in my life, how many times in your life have we found ourselves maybe not in something this extreme? 
but different situations. And our, our gut reaction is not prayer. It's not to go to God. Try to figure things out by ourselves. Daniel goes to his God. And the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God answers Daniel's prayer. It's fascinating to me as you read this because we, we, we know the story, right? We know that God reveals the dream to Daniel. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes, though. Daniel didn't know that. As Daniel goes to pray, Daniel doesn't know what God's will is. Daniel has no idea if God is going to reveal this dream to him or if this is the end of the line. If this is God's will and Daniel's going to die, he's going to be faithful to God, but this is it. I don't know. But either way, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to be okay with what his answer is. And God reveals to Daniel in a night dream. So Daniel blessed God, the God of heaven. And that's what we see next in verse 20 to 23. Daniel's praise. Daniel's heart overflows and prays, and he takes the time to purposefully praise the Lord. Again, how often have we failed to praise the Lord when he answers prayer, or even when he works in our behalf when we have failed to pray? And even still we don't thank him, we don't praise him. But Daniel does. Daniel's first reaction is not to run to the king. I have the answer. Daniel's first reaction is to run to his God and to spend time in praising him. He answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He has power over nature. He removes kings and raises up kings. He has power over nations. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He gives the truth. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Daniel rejoices in who God is. He is the creator and sustainer. He is the one who rules all creation. He is Daniel's sovereign God who is in control even in Babylon. He's the one who knows and reveals the truth. The one who listens to his servants. The wise men were not wrong in verse 11. Because only a God could possibly answer the king's request. And unfortunately, their gods had no power. But Daniel's God is in complete control. Daniel's God is the sovereign creator God of the universe. And he knows exactly what is going on. Daniel's God is worthy of praise, and Daniel takes the time to praise him rightfully. Come to verse 24 and 25, you then see Daniel's plea. Daniel goes to Arioch once again, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He goes and he says to him, 
Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. I am ready. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel. Again, I think that, that has to be some kind of a clue of who Daniel is. There is something about Daniel that has attracted this Ariok guy, which gives Daniel an audience before him. He respects what Daniel says. He's listening to him. There's a sense in which Ariok has to be putting his own life on the line. Because the king has told him to kill these wise men. And yet he has said, well, I found one wise man while I was killing the rest who, who, can, who says he can do it. If Daniel fails, if he is wrong, there's a good chance that Ariok is dying with the rest of these wise men. But Ariok quickly brings Daniel before the king. And said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. It's amazing to me as you read through chapters like this in the Bible, how confident, how confident is Daniel's faith here? I knew my God would give the answer, and he did, and I have it, and I am ready to go before this king who is obviously emotionally unstable, but I am ready to go before him. I remember when I was a kid, some of my favorite times in the car, we'd be driving, and my dad would be like, all right, tell me where to go. I know we were going to my grandparents' house, and he said, I'm going to follow your directions. You get me there. Tell me where to go. I used to love that. And I'd tell my dad, turn here. And I'd try to sometimes take him, you know, tricky ways to get him there. I wanted to show I know my way around. But you know, when I did that, I was never, I wasn't worried about getting lost, because I knew that my dad knew exactly where we were the whole time. Regardless of our surroundings, even if I did get lost myself, I knew that my dad knew where we were. I knew that he knew where we were going, and he could get there from anywhere we ended up because of my mistakes. My confidence in my dad gave me boldness to give directions. Daniel is not confident in Daniel chapter 2 because Daniel knows I am so wise. It's not because Daniel is, is so, has clearly made a good impression on Ariok, therefore I, can, I am confident. Daniel is confident because Daniel knows that his God knows exactly where he is and knows exactly where he's going. It is Daniel's faith in his God that gives him confidence in the moment to be bold. And now we come to Daniel's presentation. As he comes before the king of the most powerful nation on earth. And the king asked him, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, they, they cannot declare it to the king. But, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. 
they can't tell you. But there's a God in heaven. And the God who gave you the dream has told me. He is my God. He is the God of heaven. They can't. But I can because my God rules heaven and earth. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, notice this. This is key. Notice Daniel's response in this. Daniel is clearly standing out far and above every other wise man. As for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. They receive Daniel's humility. I'm not telling you this because I'm your best wise man. I'm not telling you this because I am wiser than anyone else, because I am smarter than anyone else. I am telling you this because my God has revealed it to me. It has nothing to do with who I am. It's my God. Oh, that we would be humble like Daniel. How quick are we to take credit for things that God has done rather than to give credit to the God who deserves it? This secret has not been revealed to, be, to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. God did not God did this to save Daniel, his faithful friends, to reveal the future to the king. God knew where Daniel was all along. God knew exactly what was going on. God sent that dream. God sent the interpretation to that dream. And God sent Daniel to interpret it. God knew what he was doing all along. God was always in complete control. That's easy for us to see here. But we struggle so mightily to see that in our lives. You know, as, as, as Daniel is looking at this from his perspective, as he is living this, Daniel has no idea how it's going to end. Daniel finds himself in a situation far worse than most of us have ever been in, and he doesn't know how it's going to end. He doesn't know the end of the story, but he keeps trusting his God. He doesn't need to know the end. He just needs to know that his God knows the end. And brothers and sisters, that is the same for you and me. We don't need to know the end. We just need to know that our God knows the end. So as we come to the application this evening, first, don't panic. Regardless of the situations that you find yourself in, don't panic. Those who are in Christ never have reason to panic. Regardless of what situations we find ourselves in, we always have more cause for faith than for fear. So don't panic. Pause. Be still and know that I am God. Go to the Word of God. Seek wisdom. Rash decisions only lead to more problems, not solutions. So don't panic. Be still. Wait. Wait on your God. Secondly, keep trusting your God while you wait. 
Go to your God. Run to him in prayer. Run to his word. Wait on the Lord. Bold action flows from real faith. Don't be a captive of the moment. Be captive to God. Wait on him. Listen for him. Trust him. And finally, praise him. Praise him. Praise him in public and praise him in private. Praise him regardless of the outcome. Did you notice that Daniel praised the Lord? He took that time, that prayer that is recorded for us. That comes before he's gone to the king. Daniel praises his God before he knows how it's going to turn out. He hopes he knows how it's going to turn out, but he doesn't know. But he doesn't wait until he knows the outcome to praise his God. Because the outcome doesn't change who his God is or what his God has done. And so praise God. Praise him in the valleys and praise him on the mountaintops. Praise him in public and praise him in private. Praise ye the Lord. Regardless of where you find yourself in the next week, in the next month, in the next year. If 2021 turns out to be 10 times worse than 2020, that does not change who your God is. Don't panic. Trust God and praise him. We're going to close with the song, Be Strong in the Lord.